0: I'm Fathery. I'm Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship, Texas, for the 162nd installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new and proud members of the Trek Sphere Network. Today we are talking about Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 3, Starstruck. And that's officially designated Episode 3, not Episode 2. Even though it's only like the second week of the show, but last week counts as two episodes. Yeah. So that's how we're gonna be counting these going forward. We're on we're on three now. Uh, and I see some people in the live audience are asking about Dave. But yeah, unfortunately Dave couldn't make it again this week, but he says that he will be here next week. So we're gonna hold him to that. So uh, hopefully we can get Dave's thoughts on Prodigy sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, me and Brian I sure will have plenty to, to <laughs> talk about. No doubt. <laughs> Yeah, this episode, Starstruck, was written by Chad Quant and directed by Alan Wan. Every time there's a new Star Trek show, there's all these like new last names behind the scenes I have to learn and <laughs> new character names. It's like we get so many Star Trek shows now, there's so many things to memorize. I'm just going to read the official synopsis, then kind of expand on it with spoilers to recap the episode. And then we'll each kind of give our opening thoughts and kind of express our broad views on the episode. But the official synopsis reads... Even with the guidance of their hologram advisor, Janeway, the crew of the USS Protostar is tested when their ship is on a dangerous cosmic collision course. And Yeah, so basically they're on this new ship, and uh, Dal decides he's going to go away from Federation space and ends up taking the ship to a binary star system, and the ship is almost destroyed by uh, being pulled into one of the stars and burning up, but they learn to ask Janeway for help, or I guess Dal specifically learns to ask for help, and they're able to figure out a, a way out and uh, live on to next week's adventure. Brian, I'll just let you go ahead and go first if you want to give your opening statements and just tell us kind of your broad takeaway on this episode, and then we'll talk about each little beat in detail.
1: I, yeah, I like this one a lot. Uh, I, 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 I liked it more than the first two, first Whatever happened last week, because we started to dig a little deeper into the characters, and well, they were kind of painted in broad strokes. there was lots of things that needed to be done in that one slash two episodes last week um and so they here they they could start digging in a little bit more into who these people are beyond their cartoon stereotype nature. And I appreciated that. Uh, this is also the plot I absolutely would have done as this, the next episode, if I'd been in charge, was, okay, now the kids do not know how to work this ship, and they get into all sorts of trouble because they don't. I might even have done a few of those episodes, uh, though perhaps not necessarily back-to-back. Back. So yeah, I was very pleased to see that I seem to be on about the same wavelength as the writer's um that it was time to show what a complicate is show off the ship a bit and show off uh how the ship is complicated enough that you can get yourself killed if you don't know what you're doing it turns out there's a reason for starfleet academy (laughs) so yeah um yeah the 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 extra examinations uh so we we got a little more complex we finally get to see gwen for example having some agency. She's not doing what her dad says. She's not doing what, uh, the, 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 the her captors say she, she escapes and she, we don't see a lot, but she gets a little bit of agency gets to, kind of, and we start, you know, which is where we're going to find out who she really is. I think is when we get a chance to see what she does, when she has the, I can make when she can make her own choices. Um, and we got to see a different side of zero because zero kind of played, the person who knew what the hell was going on last time. And this time, even zero doesn't know what the hell's going on. So we see a bit different of an aspect of, of zero. Uh, we, uh, rock talk. uh, That's the name, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. gets, gets quite a few scenes, uh, to, to discuss and show off different aspects of her personality. Um, and honestly, we even get to see a bit of, uh, of um uh pog uh and different aspects of pog's personality and and there is of course the major arc of it's it's you know it's okay for men to ask for directions um <laughs> uh, arc that doll dal, dal,
0: dal dal. goes doll it's like dal. weird owl uh dal, dal, but dal, just don't say dal. like the weird part yeah <laughs> that's, weird. that's how i that's how i had to <laughs> yeah. tell myself to remember it weird
1: owl All right, so yeah, yeah, all good. I thought thought the show would get better than the pilot, and so far, it is not disappointed.
0: Cool. Uh, Well, for me, I had a good time with this episode, but it did feel very small, particularly the first time I watched it. And I think in the grand scheme of things, that's going to be okay. And even on the second viewing, after I knew what to expect, I didn't really mind as much. But still, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I waited all week for this. This is just like the tiny little episode i get like it almost felt like watching like a short trek um but discovery and especially lower decks are so fast-paced shows they could fit so much story into like this 24 minute uh runtime so uh, i'm gonna have to just uh adjust my expectations and you know remember that this is going to be uh smaller little stories like hey we're stuck in the gravity of the star and let's figure out a way to get out of that and that's it and which, which is fine I think there's room for that in Star Trek but
1: I I th- I would say after all the save the galaxy save the universe That's stuff true. we've
0: it's kind of nice to
1: have a story where it's just can the heroes get away from the the weird the sp- anomaly of the week so
0: That's very true. And just my my other negative was that Rock Talk was still just a couple of times felt a little too childish for me, where I don't want them to like veer off into like annoying little kid territory, but I think I think Rock Talk is going to be a pretty popular character and maybe even like a bit of a divisive character, depending on how you, uh, you know how annoyed you are with kids and stuff. Like, uh, do you like really hate Anakin Skywalker or do you just kind of get annoyed with him? And so like, depending on where you fall on that spectrum, I think you might like or dislike Rock Talk at times. But I I still had other moments where I did enjoy the character and all the characters for that matter. And we uh, for sure get to see the intent of the show here. Whereas it is a device to bring new fans unfamiliar with the Star Trek universe into the fandom. This shows exactly how they're going to do that with basically getting that Federation history lesson. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, this is going to completely explain it to a new audience, like what the Federation is, what Starfleet is better than say. The J.J. movies, Star Trek 09 and the Kelvin timeline, mm-hmm. um, you know, it always bothered me in Star Trek 09 where they don't say like the word explore one time that entire movie when Pike's trying to explain Starfleet and stuff like a new audience. So I, th- I thought that was really cool the way that they handled that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, more of that throughout the, the show. And it was fun to see the inclusion of some real life science. That's something else that they talked about they were going to do in the show. I think Aaron McDonald is the scientific advisor on this one. And yeah, they said that they would try to, you know, put it's kind of hard to do in Star Trek where there is such outlandish fantasy technology, but it's always kind of meant to sound at least kind of realistic. So I think it's cool that, that you know, they find ways to weave that real life science stuff in there. And I uh, I, I like seeing more of the ship, but I want to see even more of it. I, I want to see the transwarp drive or whatever that weird thing in engineering is. Um, so I, I say, you know, bring on the next episode. I'm excited and looking forward to where the show goes next.
1: Um, bit of a tangent here. Have we seen a transporter operate in this show yet? No,
0: but I think I think they're going to explain the transporter. I think there's going to be a moment where they like explain how a transporter works.
1: Well, I'm just wondering do the bad guys have transporters? Wouldn't that, that, that,
0: <laughs> that's a good, that's a good question. I don't know. They have cloaking yeah. technology apparently. Yeah. So I think they might have transporters. Normally yeah. if you're like pretty advanced in star Trek, you figured out transporters, yeah. but maybe not. There was less common in the Delta quadrant. Wasn't it? There was a thing in like early Voyager. It was, like the Kazon yeah. didn't have it.
1: Yeah, there was definitely less common. And replicators—that was a big deal too—is who yeah. had the replicators. So I don't know. I'm just—it just occurred to me that since they, that that might be a, a something of a surprise for the audience that the bad guys don't have transporters. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it also, from a storytelling point of view, especially if you've only got 30 minutes to ta- do your story, transporters save a lot of time. So they'll probably want to give them that just so that they can move things along quickly. Um, the landing a shuttle is much more visually interesting than beaming down. And this show loves to be visually interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, uh, oh, and just, just one last thing. Uh, I will say like, we talked about how last week, how it felt a little bit more like the other star franchise than Star Trek, at least visually, I guess, tonally too, but this for sure felt more Star Trek to me.
1: Yeah. I d- definitely did not feel Star Wars at all. Um, there's large hunks of techno babble and exposition uh, in this, and it's uh, there's even some character development that all kind of, you know, the 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 action sequences definitely took a backseat to all of that stuff in a way that we had they weren't taking a backseat in the first two episodes.
0: Cool. Well, we're just gonna go ahead and move on into the episode breakdown, and we're going to cover every little beat and take a deep look at the the writing, the story, the cool little Star Trekian technology and stuff, and, and then eventually we'll even go into our Gorn Egg section where we talk about all the in-jokes, Easter eggs, and continuity connections. But just to uh, start things off, you know, at the opening of the episode, we pick up where last week ended with the kids on the ship getting to know Janeway and getting to know the protostar. And having to figure out what to do with Gwyn, their prisoner. Um, Janeway gives the kids a Federation slash Starfleet 101 tutorial. Self-appointed captain Dow sets a course to a red dot of the hollow map away from Federation authorities, and the kids lock up the boss's daughter in the brig. Uh so Brian, what do you think of some of this early stuff in the episode, one of the things that stood out to me was just uh, getting to see a little bit more of the ship, even though they're similar or the exact same sets, I guess is what we saw last week. We do get some additional ones too. And well, no, this is that scene that they showed us a few weeks ago when they did that, that clip that they released during yeah. New York comic con.
1: Um, They also linger on the sets of the ship more in the first movie. It was so JJified that we didn't have a lot of time to look at the sets. We were too busy. You know, getting on with the story and running and jumping and exploding things. And this time, you know, yeah, we get to do some nice camera swing sweeps across rooms and corridors, or I don't know what junction, junction squares, I don't know what you call those things. I guess one thing I noted: uh, they, the, the we have several Alpha Quadrant species. None of them apparently have seen a human before. Is the impl- is strongly implied?
0: Yeah, uh, Jinkum Pog was like, "Why is her forehead so smooth?" Because that's like the thing about humans: is that like humans yeah. ha- don't have any like weird bumps or ridges on their head. But I guess you could yeah. say the same thing about like Orions or uh, yeah. Betazoids or a bunch of other species. But it, it showed yeah. that Janeway knows how to handle these different species though because she knows like oh tellarites they love to be con- confrontational so she was like you're no spring peach either Tellarite." yeah or summer so, peach you're no summer peach yeah <laughs>
1: so yeah we, we we do see that our uh, kids can be uh, at least pog can be a bit racist or speciesist I <laughs> guess uh, I, I don't know if tellerites and humans can interbreed or not so I do like Gwen. Trying to see if she can trick the computer into following her instructions by jumping. In. No, I'm the captain. See if she can get this to work.
0: Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think that's about a, that.
1: Yeah, I mean, normally for. You know, oh well, that person's tied up. Clearly, not the captain. But this is a computer. It might be really stupid. You might be able to just get a call dibs on it, and suddenly, you know, you're the captain. And and uh, and and you know, it doesn't work. But I did like the the attempt. Uh, felt nicely smart on her part.
0: Well, how how self aware do you think this Janeway hologram is? Because the first time I watched it, I was thinking that. She was less self aware than, say, the doctor from Voyager. She's more on the level of like a typical hologram that just doesn't know um that they're a hologram. Um even though like this is clearly a case where she does, but she doesn't have like that sentient level of, of intelligence. Yeah. But then the second time I watched it, I'm like, oh, I think she's actually like a little smarter than she's she's leading on. Like she knows that these kids aren't cadets, but she's just saying that is what I think. That's my that's my theory yeah. right now.
1: Well, no, that was the question I came away from watching this the first time was either is Janeway rather is this, is Hollow Janeway rather dim as you would expect a holographic computer program to potentially be, and it just kind of accepts whatever input it gets unless somebody, you know, unless some sort of security alarm is tripped, or is she smarter and she's fooling all of them? She encourages them to lie to her. Now, if she doesn't know they're lying, then that's fine. Then she's. But if she knows they're lying, she is deliberately encouraging them to spin a bullshit tale. Oh, you must be cadets. Uh, and basically gives them an out so that they don't have to explain themselves or justify themselves. Which then only makes sense either A, she's too dim to realize they're lying to her, or B, she already knows all about them. She doesn't need them to explain themselves because she already knows who these people are and what they're about. And so it doesn't doesn't limit her or cause any problems for her to, to redirect the conversation away from them explaining themselves and instead give them an out to lie so that they feel more comfortable. So I'm like, so she's either behind the uh, rather behind on the game or she's like yeah. 10 steps ahead of them <laughs> there, there's no in between here
0: <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: i do think she was caught off guard by the um the the diverting power thing i don't think that was part of her evil plan but <laughs> I, I i think that sideswiped her but but uh yeah i think it, and i kind of feel like they want Janeway to be smart and not a dumb thing that can easily be fooled by the kids who just know how to talk to the computer in the right way, and could Captain Kirk's school of computer repair Janeway into doing whatever they want? I don't think they want Janeway to be that, given that they cast Kate Mulgrew, and as Janeway-decorated captain, they don't want her looking dumb on screen, I don't think. And I don't think Kate
0: Mulgrew would want to do that either. Yeah. yeah. She's very proud of the character of Janeway and she would want the character yeah. represented well.
1: Yeah. And whatever my misgivings about Voyager are, I don't think th- I don't want to just see them bring Janeway back to shit on her.
0: So <laughs> uh,
1: I think that on balance, I'm now hoping that Janeway's 10 steps ahead of them um because otherwise because that that is certainly the more interesting and some satisfying version of events.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. And also as I pointed out in my opening statement, I appreciated the description, the explanation for Starfleet and the Federation both here. Uh just the way that they they worded it in just a couple of sentences. I just want to read these these quotes. Uh she says the Federation is An interstellar union of different worlds and different species with shared principles of universal liberty, rights, and equality. And then she describes Starfleet as Starfleet is the Federation's representatives for deep space exploration on a mission to maintain peace and freedom, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before uh, that was cool because we've heard William Shatner say the boldly go stuff we've heard Patrick Stewart and we've heard who else Scott Bacala uh we've never heard it from Kate Mulgrew you know all the Kelvin kids got to say all that stuff we heard it from Chris Pine we've heard it from Nimoy uh but so I thought that was cool that they were able to, to sneak that in because I like yeah. that being a kind of a you know, that's like the most iconic thing in Star Trek, really, uh, you know, to boldly go where, where no one's gone before. Yeah. That's the uh, the catchphrase.
1: And I pe- I guess it's the charter according to uh, what, Into Darkness, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it is if you're trying to explain Starfleet, quoting the charter actually makes a lot of sense. So it works on in an in-universe level. It also is very solid. And it's
0: come up on Discovery at some point, I believe. But I, I don't remember the exact context off the top of my head. Yeah.
1: I appreciate the attention to detail um, as far as all their little continuity bits and bobs, and especially their techno babble in this episode and in the last episode, too, for the most part, is fer- is fairly well thought out and researched on a level, you know, well beyond what, uh, say, Discovery would tend to be hmm. and a lot of other Star Trek has tended to be. They really went out of their way to... Research the bits and bobs that they quote uh, uh, about how these the universe works and how the ship works uh, and get that all right on a level that I think a lot of live action Star Trek writers never grasped. I appreciated the fact that the Federation is back in the Beta Quadrant uh, in the 90s Trek, and it seemed like the Beta Quadrant had <laughs> vanished, and the Alpha Quadrant, uh, the Federation, and the Klingons, and the Romulans, and the Dominion, and the Card- or not the Dominion, but the Cardassians, uh, were all in the Alpha Quadrant and only the Alpha Quadrant, whereas all the star maps... Uh, and the invention of quadrants in the first place had been based on the idea that the Federation spanned both the Alpha and the Beta Quadrants. Yeah. So it's like a
0: 50-50 split down the middle yeah. of the Federation Like Earth, yeah. Earth is in the Beta Quadrant like half the year, and then in the Alpha oh, Quadrant the other half. Is it?
1: Oh wow, I did not know about that detail. <laughs> yeah, actually I uh, knew
0: they... <laughs> T- a Teller Prime and Doria and Vulcan, I think, are all three on the beta side.
1: Yeah. Uh, I knew the line went through Earth's system, but I didn't know it went so close to Earth's system that it would change (laughs) depending on the time of year. (laughs) That sounds confusing.
0: but But yeah, I don't think they say the words Beta Quadrant the entire seven seasons of Deep Space Nine. I bet bet it's mentioned fewer than three times, if at all, that entire show.
1: So I appreciate it. That's an example. But they got lots of little details right about how systems would work and stuff. And you don't need to get this stuff right, especially for a kid's show that's training kids up for shows that are not going to be trying as hard for the most part to get this stuff right. Um, But, yeah, they got it. And it made me think of the Doctor Who, uh, the the quote um, Douglas Adams said about writing Doctor Who. He said, you have to... I, I'm pretty pretty something pretty close to you have to keep the uh, story uh, complex enough that the kids will be interested and entertained, but simple enough that the adults can still follow it. And <laughs> I love that quote. Yes, yes. It's it's one of my favorite quotes about Doctor Who. Uh, and um, I think that we're seeing some of that here. The people are realizing kids are going to sweat all these details on a level that, you know, a lot of adults are not going to sweat them, so they they seem to be putting more effort into them, and I appreciate that as I'm somebody who's still enough of a kid at heart to at least make note of when they get the details right and when they get them wrong, even if I no longer sit there with a Nerf, a Nerf gun shooting sucker darts at my TV every time <laughs> somebody says says something wrong. But, uh, yeah, so I, I appreciate that. Uh, that And and that's kind of starts with Janeway's speech about the Federation and runs all the way through this episode, and I hope they keep it up.
0: Now, one thing I wanted to point out about Dal's mistrust of authority, I, I'm slightly mixed on that, but I think I overall really like this idea because that's one of the things that I, you know, speaking of that other Star franchise I keep mentioning, one of the things that I like over there is, they do so many stories that are like anti-authority that you know the uh, the, the the evil empire against the uh, the the underdogs and that's something that star trek has kind of lacked because yeah it is like this this greater better society in the future uh so uh, of course like the authority would be less malevolent although they still have to defy orders uh, quite often in star trek so I kind of like this show, Prodigy, kind of having that anti-authority vibe. I kind of feel conflicted about if, like, the arc is about uh, Dow having to learn, like, oh, no, like, it's okay to, like, trust the status quo and, you know, fall in line, and the the government's never going to lie to you, and you, the, the Federation is perfect, and you should buy into all the propaganda. Uh, but I, I, th- I think that the way that they're, at least early on, you know, they're using the Diviner and his uh mining slavery operation is kind of the authority that they're in defiance of so I, I think it was gonna be like a little bit more nuanced where it's like okay like the federation is good but you know the diviner is bad and sometimes authority is good if we make it be good and even then you still gotta disobey orders from time to time <laughs> but I, I i like that uh overall uh you know i'm slightly mixed but overall i like it uh, I, I like the idea of he he doesn't. He's he's so jaded and so cynical, even at like this early age. He's like, no, we can't roll up in a stolen ship. Are you nuts? Like they're gonna be mad at us. They're gonna hate us. They're gonna lock us up again. You know, we just we just got our freedom. You want to throw it away? People in authority lie. We can't trust anything they say. Um, <laughs> and then the irony of uh, zero pointing out that that Dow lies all the time. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I I like where this is headed, and I. I think it's gonna be cool to see the uh the arcs with these characters. And you know, as they as they learn more about the Federation, Jankom Pog and Zero and Rock Talk were all like, Man, the Federation sounds really sweet. Like I wanna be I wanna be part of this. This this all sounds yeah. good. Dal's the only one who is skeptical. Well we don't know Gwen's opinion, but I don't think she was uh very receptive given the situation.
1: <laughs> no, I had pretty much the same thought is that the Federation stands as a imposs- uh, probably impossibly good example of government and the man that uh is 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 not terribly realistic and so you know on one hand we have Dow saying, you know there's no such thing as a free lunch if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is mm-hmm. and in as far as the lesson, you know, the uh, knowing is half the battle, kids. Kind of moments. That's actually a lesson kids should probably be paying attention to and and thinking about uh, 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 and keep in mind. But it's uh, it flies in the face of Star Trek, which does have this kind of impossibly good Federation. Um, and so you're in the situation where, if you're the a, a regular Star Trek viewer, you know that uh, Dal is wrong um, about on this particular example, anyway. But that his he he's generally following a pretty good rule of thumb uh, that the the people on top don't care too much for about the people on the bottom. So yeah, where is it? you know it it certainly. I don't know if the writers just hadn't quite thought out the implications of this or if we're going to end up with a more nuanced situation. Um, Certainly they've also been showing that the Federation is a little more flawed than we thought, but uh, uh, in other Star Treks uh, lately as well. So, but yeah, I I don't, I don't, it feels like they're setting up one of those kids learn an important lesson moments, but it's hard to see how you, you 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 get out of this without the kids learning potentially the wrong lesson
0: <laughs> yeah uh, starfleet boy is joining us in the live audience and he's saying in the comments kids need the optimism and the security i think we can't have bad morals on prodigy but <laughs> i think ki- i think kids could handle that i think kids could handle uh you know betrayals and uh having to having to go against the uh the boss sometimes the The other thing I wanted to point out is they remind us that Zero, uh, cannot read Gwen's mind, and apparently he couldn't read the Diviner's mind either, because he said last week I, I didn't really know what he was using me for, why he wanted me to like torture those people, or what his like master plan is. So I guess it's something with like their species, the the Vodna Akat or whatever they were called last week. Um, so I'm glad that they took the time to you know dot the i's and cross the t's and tell us like why doesn't zero just read her mind and learn you know what her dad's evil plan is and all this stuff and it's like oh yeah because he can't so at least they <laughs> <laughs> at least they acknowledge that I, I,
1: do the kids even care about the diviner's evil plan at this point that's true I mean, yeah we got a ship we're out of here <laughs> that's <laughs> yesterday's problem
0: so
1: <laughs> They they don't know he's coming after them. Well, I mean, she keeps saying he's coming after them, but I don't know if they actually believe it or believe that there's a way for them for 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 the diviner to find them.
0: Do you want to tell us uh about the kids getting to know the ship? Uh
1: sure, yes. So, doll and zero lock up Gwen in the brig, and then check out the living arrangements for the Protostar's crew. Rock Talk and Jankum Pog hit up the mess hall. Then Finally, Zero and Jankum Pog look over the dual warp core and the mystery thing in engineering.
0: Yeah, so what's going on in engineering with this weird... (laughs) uh, I guess it's propulsion-related, being that it's, like, right in the middle between two warp cores. And why do they have two warp cores side by side? Is, like, one the backup? Uh, Pog does say we only need one to hit warp nine. Yeah, and then
1: both of them are running. Admittedly, uh, starships can of this era can, especially the sleeker ones can seem to be able to pass, go significantly past warp nine these days. So, uh, you, I suppose, but they could have just built one warp core that would push a ship this size past warp nine. Instead they built two. They both seem to be running unlike the secondary warp core on Voyager, which was basically just sitting in a, in basically a very long, thin co- closet yeah. <laughs> in case they needed it. Uh and uh um whereas here it's it's wired into the system very clearly connecting the matter and the antimatter together. And and is seems operational. We know when those things aren't running, they don't light up. So, uh, yeah, that is intriguing. And the big thing in the middle is intriguing. I'm sure it ties in with the the, the deployable nacelle thingy we see in the opening yeah. credits, that which that's may be or may related. not
0: be trans warp related, based on what we saw on a console previously.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Probably, since if if that showed up on a console, um because I don't know what else you would be doing with an extra fancy engine. This is another engine, but it makes our ship go slower. No, no. Obviously, I know that, it makes the ship go faster. <laughs> I, I know that
0: Lower Decks got Mike Okuda to work on some of the uh displays and uh, Okudagram L-Car layouts. I don't know if he's contributing to Prodigy or not, or if they're just trying to make it look like Okuda's style, but th- there is some some pretty yeah. interesting visuals uh, on some of the, yeah. the consoles and stuff. I like I, I, I like how much detail they're able to pack yeah. in.
1: I would say that this is sort of the somebody trying to do an evolution of 90s Okudagrams. Uh, yeah,
0: it looks a little uh, more advanced, is, I guess.
1: Well, I don't know if advanced, just it's... It's reminiscent, but there's also a lot of new shapes and new ways of joining shapes mm. together that you don't see on classic acutograms so it feels to me like it's, you know, this is Windows 10 versus Windows 6 or something uh, kind of akutograms. Uh, You know, recognizable, but clearly a different iteration. And given when we have been told this show is set, uh, it, it would make sense um, that they would be a little more evolved or
0: altered the brig that they have Gwyn locked up in is very star trek into darkness it also felt a little discovery like the the size yeah. and shape of it
1: i did want to ta- mention that the pr- br- brig the prisoners get better accommodations than the crew do by a significant <laughs> margin that room is way bigger uh then uh, then any other i think any other brig we've seen even the star trek into darkness brig oh, i don't wow. think was that big because that one was pretty um, big but it was pretty big but i don't think it was quite that big um and so yeah and and given how small this relatively small this ship is i'm still thinking it's it's got the space for seven at least seven decks seven or eight decks but these decks Seem to be really tall. So it might not actually have that many because the decks are so much taller than most Starfleet ships. Um, But given how small the ship is, they sure spend a lot of space making sure they can lock people up. I guess they were planning on having
0: a bunch of prisoners packed in there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Or, or, or rebellious crew members or something. I, I probably reading too much in this, into this, it probably, they just wanted a cool looking brig and they didn't think about what it said about the nature of the ship. When that much, that large of a percentage of your ship is devoted to locking people (laughs) up. But, uh, it, it's certainly my eye. certainly, if you think about it for a bit, it feels like that's a huge amount of space to devote to locking people up. And they have a separate room. And are, is there more than one cell or just one cell? Um, I, I couldn't tell watching it if there was another cell off to the on the other side of that white, that column it, it on the right. It looks like
0: there could be, but I don't yeah. think we get a, a glimpse of it. I don't recall seeing a glimpse of it, but I also wasn't looking for it.
1: Yeah. And they've got a big room that acts as kind of the warden's room, I guess, or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Uh, and even if that doubles as the chief of security's office, uh, it's Oh, Odo still... style. Yeah. Uh, it still strikes me as a whole lot of space being devoted to imprisonment uh, on a ship this size, when, like, on Kirk's Enterprise, the brig often was just opened directly into a hallway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um... Jill in our audience or a hollow nanny as she is calling herself today uh hi Jill but she's laughing at the fact that Murph pooped on Zero's eye but i think it it was uh, it no it came out the other end it was like a jelly vomit it came dripping I mean, out of his mouth but yeah there are Murph's a lot of single-celled
1: there are a lot of simple creatures that use their mouth for a poop hole too that is not on when you get down to really microscopic critters and stuff that is not all that uncommon (laughs) so maybe that's
0: the the case with Murph. i really like the captain (laughs) quarters the first time i saw it i was like oh that looks like pretty sleek and cool and i want to live there and then the second time i watched it i was like you know for like a captain's quarters like couldn't they like throw in like some carpet or something make it a little like (laughs) <laughs> the, that 24th century coziness, you know? <laughs> uh,
1: well, I had the exact opposite reaction. I said, well, so much for all that Federation equality. We see how the crew <laughs> sleeps and we see how the captain sleeps. <laughs> and you could have had, uh, there's, a, a, again, a huge amount of space devoted to the captain that could have been allocated to the crew that was not. Um, and... Uh, whereas, I suppose, when you need a brig, you really freaking need a brig. The captain probably does not need a room quite this ridiculously ostentatious while the rest of the crew is sleeping on bunk beds in a, in a cargo bay. So- <laughs> I
0: have a theory on that, because I, I thought the same thing. And I'm wondering if this is a training ship that's kind of intended for cadets. And that's why the, that's why they're given shittier living conditions than the captain because like the captain's just there to you know be like the drill sergeant and then they're there to to be going through training but yeah
1: i mean these people these crew members don't even get a hallway
0: Um. (laughs) yeah they don't get a lower (laughs) decks hallway it is it is very star trek six though it looked like the excelsior bunk room
1: yeah the and the bridge is way bigger than it needs to be yeah like vastly bigger so loads of space wasted on the bridge loads of space wasted on the captain's quarters loads of space wasted on the brig and then the crew the crew quarters they're they're, they're literally bunk beds in a cargo bay so it's, it's and they don't it's even get a bar choice.
0: in their mess hall. well it makes sense because they're kids <laughs> on the cerritos at least they have like a, a bar in their mess hall but not a uh, not here
1: I suppose. I, I, I'm i kind of fine with the bar being dispensed with, given how small the ship is and how advanced the replicator tech is, that if they wanted a bar, they could put one together in probably about 45 minutes or something, or 47 minutes. The replicator knows exactly what Pog is ordering. So Pog doesn't know what a human is. Even though he's a Tellarite, but the replicator knows exactly what food Pog was raised on, or at least has been exposed to in some fashion.
0: The blood truffle biscuits, sweet radish pie, and sour gravy. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't look very appetizing to me, but he seemed to enjoy it. I thought that was a, a cute little moment, though, with Rock Talk, where she's like, the only thing I know how to eat is Nutra Goop that they, that they fed us yeah. back in back in prison. That's all I've ever <laughs> ate. That was so sad.
1: Yeah no it was it was one of the things I I liked is that uh Rock Talk gets these little a lot of little moments throughout the whole episode. Yeah. Uh and that was one of them that I I enjoyed. Um they've reversed the table the 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 silliness of the tables from voyager which in voyager they have a trench running down the table for no discernible reason that you're you're, you're you can accidentally set your cup down wrong wrong and spill it because of the trench yeah, this like one a has a wall yeah has a wall <laughs> running down the middle of your table that you can use to spill your cup but that or makes a little in- bit
0: more sense because it's like a divider <laughs> if like i'm eating on one side and someone else is eating on the other side it's like you stay on your side and i'll stay on mine
1: yeah I, I suppose they knew they were going to have kids on board who would you know <laughs> get really immature rah, 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 shoving trays back and forth at each other.
0: <laughs> but yeah, but it was cool to get like a little tour of the ship. I said last week that I wanted to see more of the interiors. I wanted to see engineering. I'm curious if there's a sick bay. If there is, I want to see it.
1: I'll be really upset if there's
0: a brig, but no sick bay.
1: <laughs> 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 That's all kinds of fucked up from a Star Trek point of a uh, federation point of view. <laughs> so. we know we can lock people up we can't fix a broken leg but we can lock people up
0: (laughs) wouldn't it be cool if there's a an emh on board also if there's a sick bay
1: yeah i don't know i i mean the example we have on uh, on la serena is that you get the same hologram no matter which type of hologram you call up but that isn't necessarily starfleet standard there but yeah there could be an emh uh one would think if they went to the trouble of putting a Uh, Janeway on board that they would load Janeway's famous uh EMH uh, uh, version of that on board as well. But Uh, Picardo hasn't announced anything about being on the show. I don't think.
0: Yeah, I'll Uh, be disappointed if we don't have him back in something at some point soon. He seems like an easy one to bring back. Yeah, and I guess the only other thing of note here before we get to the binary star stuff is uh, Rock Talk does try to be nice to Gwyn. She does, you know, bring her some a big plate of steaming Nutragoop goop that looked disgusting. But uh, she is also questioning Gwen, like how come like how come you never did anything? Like she's she doesn't understand. She's just like a little kid. She has this little kid brain. She's like, Why were you doing all that bad stuff? Why didn't you do anything to stop it? And Gwen kinda has to, you know, take a look at the the girl in the mirror and be like, Oh yeah, like I didn't really know and you know <laughs> Wait a minute. Am I
1: the bad guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the, yeah. <laughs> the meme. They're like, are we the baddies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: when the little girls like, why did you imprison me and force me to work when I hadn't committed any crimes? And uh, oh, are we, are, am I the bad guys?
0: <laughs> yeah, like what kind um, of crimes do you think these eight year olds are doing, yo?
1: Yeah, and uh, that that also apparently it sounds like these Alpha Quadrant sample a sampler pack that we got of Medusans and uh, Tellarites and purple guys who learned to sp- who were taught to speak English they all came from different places it sounds like i i was i had a sort of head cannon that we were going to find out that the diviner had like captured the children of the ship's crew or something and they that's why they all these alpha quadrant people were in the delta quadrant working in this prison but it sounds like they're from all over the place and just being shipped here to to space australia
0: <laughs> the botany bay
1: which which raises the question then of even more of how did all these Alpha Quadrant species end up out in the Delta Quadrant if they were on multiple, apparently implied, multiple different worlds or planets. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm definitely trying to put these clues together to figure out how it all fits together. And they're, I'm getting lots of clues, but I don't know if any overall picture is necessarily emerging at this point. Hopefully it will make sense once we get the explanations. Yeah,
0: I feel like that's kind of the name of the game on uh, all the Star Trek shows now. It's like, uh, I want to I want to have this explained to me. Like, why are why is this? Why is there this mystery of this? You know, that is the... why, why does Mariner have a different last name than her mom and dad? <laughs> yeah,
1: that is the end result of J.J. Abrams mystery boxes. <laughs> well, there you go. So,
0: well, let's talk about the arrival at the binary star. Mm hmm. Red alert! The ship arrives at its destination and is caught in the gravity of binary stars. While trying to troubleshoot the danger, Dal inadvertently deactivates power to the brig, freeing Gwyn. Rock Talk is on the case, though, and fights Gwyn in the shuttle bay to stop her escape attempt. Um, So yeah, we get to see another location in the ship. We get to see the shuttle bay. I guess we get to see the escape pods, too. Uh, that, That made me mad, Brian, when dow is like get rid of everything non-essential everything that's not bolted down eject it and they're like ejecting all these cargo containers or maybe they were escape pods but it made me mad because like you just got this cool shit with all this neat stuff on it now you're just like dumping it like you don't even know what you're dumping yeah, uh,
1: I want Janeway to take them down and say for this this is a mission to a dangerous planet I recommend that you take the phasers found in cargo bay 3 and they go in this cargo bay 3 is empty
0: <laughs> But I mean, there's... oh yeah, we jettisoned all the phasers. <laughs> hey, they have they have a lot of power. They got those two warp cores, right? Uh, so I guess they they have like some long term replicator capabilities. You know, we have the vehicle replicator, yeah. so I guess they can just replicate all the new equipment, new escape pods, whatever they need. The vehicle replicator was really cool in the fight. Uh, the way that they used it in the fight, you mentioned the interesting visuals earlier, but. That was neat, the way that they're fighting while this shuttlecraft is being built. And the stars look neat.
1: Uh yes, yes. They're they're definitely very pretty stars. Um so the uh I I guess I noticed that they aren't trying to do they it does there seems to be zero effort to imitate Major Barrett for the computer's voice, yeah. which I think is a first for this era of Trek.
0: Oh well, we have um Geek filter in the the audience, and he is actually friends with the woman who does the voice of the computer on the show, so Aaron, if you huh. can remind us who that is, because the name escapes me, but, but yeah, I noticed huh. this is the first time we hear the ship's computer, but on the, um on Lower Decks, they have the Cerritos computer, is also a different.
1: Oh, okay. I, I just hadn't Different caught that it wasn't trying. They weren't trying to do because I know they had a couple, at least one, if not two, major Be, major major Barrett replacements back in the nineties. So there are people that can do the voice reasonably well, but um, I guess it just never sunk in that they that they dumped it by the uh, on the Cerritos. Yeah.
0: So this show they have uh, Bonnie Gordon, but one thing I've noticed ever since this new era of Star Trek started, as every ship has its own computer voice. You know, in Discovery, the USS Discovery has a different voice than the Enterprise. But every time they have the Enterprise, they have the same... It's uh, the woman who played Vasquez in Aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she does the voice of the computer every time they have the Enterprise in Short Treks or in Discovery. And I'm, I'm guessing they'll keep her for Strange New Worlds. But they use someone totally different for the discovery and discovery.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, it's only because you know Voyager, uh, the Enterprise D, uh, Deep Space Nine, and the Defiant all had uh, you know an attempt, either Major Barrett or an attempt at Major Barrett, um, and I think the shuttlecraft, uh, did as well. All the shuttles from those various shows hmm. that I, it, it felt, uh, and I think. I think they uh, didn't. The they had the Enterprise E must have talked at some point, right?
0: Probably, but I can't think of an exact moment.
1: Yeah, um, doing a countdown or something, if nothing else. But. Uh, so yeah, it just struck me as, yeah, they're definitely doing a different voice here, which is fine. I mean, they change everything else about Starfleet. Why should, why should the computer voices be standard? I honestly just would have had the computer voice be Janeway. I, I would have had Kate Mulgrew do the the countdowns and the red alerts and everything on the ship. But, um, I think that would have been fine getting in this context where she's clearly wired into the system and not walking around with a mobile emitter. Um, so.
0: well apparently Bonnie Gordon is really nice and a big truck fan and she's very friendly on Twitter so if you're listening to this go give her a follow on Twitter and tell her that the uh the Text Truck Boys sent sent you and say hi. But Brian I think you know uh, uh quite a lot about astronomy and probably uh, you know much more than me. So let me ask I do know that binary star systems are actually very common in the in the yes. observable universe. Are they typically a white dwarf and a red giant? It's like a this little white hungry white dwarf feeding off of this massive red giant.
1: I don't know how typical that is. I I don't honestly I, I'm not I'm not into things well enough to say whether that is common or not. I do know that things like that happen, that they've we have telescope images of one star ripping another star apart slowly over, you know, a million years or something and and creating images very somewhat similar to this. Uh, so, you know, the basic idea of this is more plausible than most of the anomalies of the week that we've gotten in the whole history of Star Trek. This, this is, this is actually, yeah, pretty possible. I assume there must've been some planets in this system. Otherwise, where are the rocks coming from? I don't don't think
0: there'd be like a bunch of rocks floating around in that close proximity, but that just, was the cool like, excitement of having you know later when they're having to like fly through those and stuff and
1: yeah I mean there could be, there could be there some debris left over from some sort of you know supernova billions of years ago that co- coalesced the gases of which coalesced into these two new stars so it seemed fairly plausible I did sort of head cannon that the that the weird gravity of these stars was interfering with their their ability to generate subspace fields which is why the impulse engines were performing so incredibly poorly and why you why r- ramping up the warp drive might have been a bad idea <laughs> Um, is that, uh, because the impulse engines actually use a subspace field to lower the mass of the ship so that even though it looks like a huge ship and tiny little impulse engine from a mass point of view, it's like... 95% 95% impulse engine and only a little bit of ship, the rest of the ship and all the fuel is compacted into a tiny little thing from a mass point of view, uh, not a volume point of view. Uh, but so it's like the whole ship is made out of a hollow styrofoam shell and and the, the impulse engine is, you know, uh, there's this is giant hunk of metal, or, you know, pushing the ship uh but if that subspace field gets interfered with suddenly all that mass comes back suddenly your ship is way heavier and your impulse engine performs like shit so uh without that subspace driver so it was pretty easy for me to say yeah probably weird star stuff always seems to come with weird subspace stuff in star trek land um so the uh um i liked the divert all power thing had all sorts of consequences yeah um yeah
0: like you could tell like they're they're not diverting all power correctly (laughs) because like typically when you divert all power like you would know like not to power down your brig like no other star trek show would someone make this mistake not even on lower decks would they goof that up (laughs)
1: Uh this show also has the holodecks using the same power system as the rest of the ship unlike Voyager which stupidly had its own separate power generators for the holodecks which made no sense but but here that in a much more logical sense, the the training hologram disappears when you divert all power. It's actually a very deconstructionist thing to do, which I was not expecting for a kid's cartoon to be taking the great totems and tropes of Star Trek and taking them apart and showing their potential flaws that's sort of what you do in like picard picard is a very deconstructionist uh, star take on hmm. star trek where you're kind of digging in and saying how well does this actually work um and and uh um how w- and 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 what would these tropes really work like if you push them to the limit uh so I loved it because I loved the, I liked the idea that they paid attention to it. So many writers in Star Trek just, oh yeah, divert all power, that works fine. And uh, they're, they're like, no, no, this would cause serious problems if you diverted all power uh, instead of like all available power or some such thing. And I just love that they switched off Janeway accidentally. That is another <laughs> thing that lesser Star Trek writers would have omitted and... Not caught altogether uh, is that they, they, is that that probably would switch off the hologram. So yeah, well done there again. Good techno babble. Yes, a trained crew would know better than to, you know, do switch off this, that, and the other systems. But these are not a trained crew, and uh, they they're probably literally just asking the computer to do the things they they i doubt they're even like reconfiguring stuff most of the time most of the time they're probably just typing in divert all power to impulse engine hit return are you sure you want to do this confirm <laughs> and, you know it does because the computer can easily interpret text or verbal speech and and translate it into instruction, into orders and actions uh at this point so my how how are they sometimes able to work the ship and other times not i just assume they're just Literally typing in what they want the computer to do and hitting return, and the computer says, Well, if you're sure.
0: <laughs> and he, even Gwen seemed to have like some abilities uh, when she's, you know, running around on her own. Like she was able to find where the escape pods were, and then the computer, you know, offers is like, Hey, you don't have any escape pods, you want me to build you a shuttlecraft? And she's like, Yeah, let's do that. And then when she's in the shuttle bay fighting Rock Talk, she's able to deactivate the gravity. So, um, no. I guess there's some, uh, user-friendly interface with some of the stuff. But, yeah, they still don't really know what they're doing. The one thing that annoyed me with that that fight with Rock Talk, by the way, is I wanted to see the shuttle design. I wanted to get, like, a good wide shot look of it. And we, we only see these, like, little <laughs> tight shots that are only on screen for a couple seconds uh but it was it it was cool how scary they made rock talk look i I really appreciated the design because she doesn't really change much you know it's not like her eyes glow red or anything when she's mad it's still like that same pink rocky face and they can make it be this cute little innocent character and also make it be like the scary rage monster uh, that is is gonna stomp your ass into the ground
1: I I like that she was still a little girl and not just the hulk or something when she gets upset she I, I, it was you know she's not always sweet and innocent and and kind sometimes she's pissed off <laughs> and she knows you're full of shit and and she'd never say the s word but that doesn't mean she's going to let you walk all over her uh she will throw a nice little tantrum and beat the shit out of you full of uh, neutral though, goop yeah, and uh, though, though the the worst damage that Rock Talk ends up doing, I'm pretty sure, is unintentional when she lands on her butt. <laughs> lands on Gwen. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, that must have hurt. <laughs> She's <laughs> at first I thought, wait, there are only three escape pods, but I thought, well, wait a minute, uh, escape pod holds a. Uh, uh, Like, some escape pods hold six people and some hold eight people, according to various Starship manu- manuals that have been published by uh, by Rick Sternbeck and stuff. And, you know, that, that would cover probably the crew of this ship. You would only need three escape pods if they're eight-man yeah. escape pods yeah, And there could have been more. That could have
0: just been that deck. That could have been, like, one side of the ship and there's three more on the other side or something like that.
1: I guess it—it it felt like the, that announcement of launching Escape Pod One, launching Escape Pod Two, or whatever was was sounded. I got the impression that was ship wide, but uh, I might have, I might, it might not have been it. Um, but again, you don't need more than three. And at first, I was like, "Oh no, now they have no Escape Pods." But oh, they have a shuttle replicator. It <laughs> can probably replace just about everything they jettisoned. <laughs> I guess if they jettisoned their bulk matter storage which is what the replicator takes apart and uses to make things. If they jettison that, they're they going that. to have to, the, they're, they're they're gonna have going to go to...
0: find, they're going to have to go tractor it and hope it doesn't <laughs> didn't burn up yet.
1: And <laughs> yeah, it, well, I mean, they could just go find some rocks and fill it up. It doesn't really matter what matter it is. It's just as anything that's pretty dense. There. Yeah, yeah, it's like Mister Fusion. Um, so yeah, rocks, asteroids, nickel iron asteroids would probably be just about as effective. But yeah, I uh, and and yes, I like the shuttle fight uh, as well. I think the um, the the lack of getting to see the shuttle properly was a deliberate tease, de- designed to annoy people like us <laughs> who want to see the fricking shuttle. I did notice it had the clear top like the ship does. You know how shuttles always echo their ships in the shows. Oh yeah.
0: Like on, and on lower And this one had decks. a giant
1: bubble dome wrapping over the whole top of it. Do
0: you remember that they gave the shuttles on the Cerritos, the cerritos style, really round nacelles, and then the Titan shuttles had the the Luna class looking advanced nacelles.
1: Oh, okay. I'd I not noticed that, but yeah. So <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it has like the same kind of a uh, transparent canopy on the top. It looks cool. Like it like, kind of makes it look more like it might be like a jet plane looking thing, you know, like this clear cockpit on the top. I don't know. It looks like it'd be different. And I, I can't really judge it because I haven't seen it other than these little teases, but yeah, I, I'm sure we will see it eventually, later this season. Brian, do you want to tell us what happens when the uh, the gravity goes down and the, the desperation sure. they encounter?
1: Gwen disables the gravity, causing chaos on the bridge. Uh, Dal uh, eventually sees he is in over his head, finally, and reactivates Hollow Janeway to ask for help. She is able to coach them to safety, and Rock Talk recaptures Gwen. <laughs> Which I think is... That's got to feel bad for Gwen when like the 6-year-old captures you.
0: Yeah, I think I think Gwen <laughs> might be the the oldest or at least she seems like the smartest and most capable. She she speaks all these different languages. She's a pretty good hand-to-hand combatant with her little programmable matter sword thing. So yeah, and then like the dumb little kid brings you down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the the it is probably just the Inevitable benefits of being raised by the guy who's at the king of the hill and get, gets your gets their kid all the education opportunities versus everyone else who grows up mining mystery crystal, so. Um. But, yeah, she does seem certainly more educated than anyone else. Zero's pretty smart, too. That's true. Uh, Um,
0: By the way, how does Zero know, like, Earth measurements? He says that there's trillions of tons of white-hot ionized gas. And I like that they explain, like, what a star is in real-life science to your uh, youthful audience. But, like, how does he know tons? Like, that's like a... (laughs) I just took that
1: as universal translators converting okay. it into English for us. So
0: <laughs> There's actually uh, instances where that makes sense if that's how the universal translator works and other and other things. Because like, a lot of times you hear aliens say, like, in five hours and, you know, stuff like that. I'm like How do you know these units of measurement?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a day probably translates pretty clearly, but, yeah, hours are pretty random. <laughs> that wasn't based on anything in particular.
0: <laughs> and I, I liked that... Dow asked Murph, "Like, do you have any ideas? Because last week, Murph was the one who like figured out where the pew 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 button was. So it's like, does Murph actually like know the ship? Is 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 Murph actually like this really intelligent thing? But like, no, he's just trying to eat the captain's chair while they're yeah. they're all moments away from death.
1: <laughs> Murph figures that if if Murph eats the captain's chair, then Murph will be the captain because no one else can sit in the chair. Well, <laughs> so. I guess you get it last." Uh, or or want some sort of, you know, communal lead- leadership, th- democratic leadership system where there are no authority figures, um, and, and it's going to go down and eat those ca- the captain's quarters next, <laughs> so that <laughs> everyone is equal.
0: But also, what you said about Zero being smart, he is the one that figures out, oh yeah, the secret is to go along with the river of fire, <laughs> as, as they call it, but yeah, <laughs> let's just ride the gravity and slingshot around the star.
1: Yeah, I did like you get to push the button.
0: You oh, know, yeah, that. when Janko oh. and Paul gets to blow stuff up, even though it's just like auto targeting the, the asteroids. <laughs> but yeah, it'd still be fun to shoot the phasers. They've always been auto-targeting,
1: but I don't think most of the writers realize, I think most of the writers think that when Worf's back there pushing buttons, it's like some sort of arcade game, but uh, where he's he's moving a joystick around or something. But uh, it's always been auto-firing, and I love that the writers are just totally aware of that and just throw that out there to, again, deconstruct how awesome it is when you're firing the phasers and torpedoes. Actually, you just kind of select the targets and tell the computer to take care of it, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a ra- little button to tell it to start taking care of it <laughs> so, I, again deconstructionist but but in an enjoyable fun way uh that that shows they've done their homework
0: yeah that's a an analysis of the episode that i hadn't considered but now that you bring that up uh you know multiple examples within this episode i'll i'll start looking for that in future installments i i like the writing i like uh a, a lot of the things that the the Hagman brothers seem to be doing um and you know their approach to star trek i don't know if there's anything else that's kind of our our uh resolution is what uh, the the climax of the story is dow learns that it's okay to to ask for help <laughs> even though he doesn't really do much he i guess takes credit and and thinks that he's still like you know the good captain the good leader um because eventually he did ask for help and Uh, Janeway gives the kids some inspirational advice at the end. And I think here, here is another example of this Janeway has got to be a little sharper than she's letting on because she said, I've seen my share of wayward crews and I can tell you that you've got potential. If this Janeway has like memories and experiences and stuff, I think that she probably has like the original Janeway's memories, you know, programmed into her or at least like the encyclopedia version of, of that stuff and has a little bit of like self-awareness where like, yeah, she can have her own opinions.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we were get accidentally getting quite a few sapient holograms during the DS nine Voyager era. So who knows? They, they might just be everywhere. I mean, I think they even, what well, they, they are everywhere. Cause we find out that they're putting them to work in like mines or stuff. Uh, rather than just deactivating them. So they clearly consider them kind of sapient. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, the idea that she's, you know, significantly surpasses the the original boot-up sapience of, of Doc holodeck from Voyager uh, is certainly very plausible. Uh, um, makes perfect sense that she would actually be the next step in that, and... I don't know if they—they they probably would have just uploaded all of the logs, maybe even the personal logs, if Janeway was okay. Real Janeway was okay with it to give her a—a a field of of personal experience to help her interact with people.
0: Yeah, I and mean, that um, definitely seems to be what Zimmerman did to—to mm-hmm. to create the EMH. He put you know a lot of his own his own memories and his own personality into it.
1: Yeah, and what Ira Graves was uh, had kind of invented that tech back in what season two? Season of the Next two, yeah. The, yeah, the schizoid man. So, yeah, so they were they were basically had it as a prototype back then. So it's probably not all that hard to <laughs> do more than just feed it the logs. Um, by this point, uh, even if it, you know, so that that could help explain why so much of Janeway is going to be in this hologram here. Uh, it would be fun if she keeps slipping up and calling herself Admiral. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because she's, she's, you know, some part of her hasn't quite, pro- you know, there's, that's just how she would have said it, but, oh yeah, I'm not actually an Admiral. So you
0: know. <laughs> The one thing that confused me here was Jinkom Pog says that, uh, He just wants to start by learning how to turn left or right. Like, that'd be helpful if we know how to steer the ship. But they were doing some pretty advanced maneuvers when they were escaping Dreadnought last week. So (laughs) I think they know how to turn left and right. Again, they could have just told the ship
1: fly down there and don't hit anything. And the ship's computer is doing all the turns and they, they don't literally, they literally don't know how to fire the port and starboard thrusters to turn the ship left or right. They have to rely entirely on the ship's computer and explaining what they want. And then the computer figures out how to do it. So, you know, that, that could make some sort of sense of that, of that statement.
0: Well, our hollow nanny in the live audience is telling us, (laughs) not to forget about the diviner and kitten scenes. Uh, yes. <laughs> so let, let's uh, talk about that. We do see a little bit more of Tars Lamora, which by the way, it was pointed out to me that if you rearrange the letters in Tars Lamora, it spells star amoral. So it's like, oh, this is like the, uh, the unethical star is where the bad guys live.
1: Amoral star.
0: So. Um, but yeah, the diviner is, he's out of his tank. He is gearing up strapping on his armor and uh has dreadnought at his side he says prepare the rev 12 which i guess is the name of his ship this kind of sounds like a car isn't it like a toyota it has like a Rev 4 or something uh but we see yeah. cation kitty again uh, uh so
1: there was my wife's favorite part so <laughs>
0: you know toiling away under the uh, the cruelty of the diviner but yeah, it looked like that whole like main complex is kind of like the Capital City-looking thing. It's very um, Halo 4 or like Tron Legacy-style graphics. But that whole facility, that whole building, that whole structure, I guess, takes off and is the ship, the Rev-12. And what I thought was interesting is that they can cloak their mining asteroid. They activate the... The Chimerium cloak. So you can use that stuff with cloaking technology. Can he cloak his ship or just the the asteroid? Because it kind of seems like it'd be easier to to cloak a smaller thing than a bigger thing.
1: Yeah, I would... I mean, if you have the technology, I mean, it could be that... That they he only bought one cloaking device, and so he can only cloak the thing the device is plugged into, but uh, it could also be that he's advanced enough to purchase or construct multiple cloaking devices. We don't quite know how he fits into the, the uh, industrial infrastructure of this area of space.
0: <laughs> My thinking is that when he takes off in his big ship, he kind of leaves his base defenseless. And so that's why he cloaks it, to hide it, so that no one, like, tries to like, go conquer it and take all his chimerium. But then I'm like, don't people know where it is? Like, that Kazon traitor was, like, bringing them prisoners. Yeah. Like, that guy knows how to get there, even if it's cloaked. Where can it move? Can it travel? Can
1: I mean, if you mounted some thrusters on it, you wouldn't have to move it more than a few hundred kilometers. And, uh, you know, which you Pull could do in space a deep hours. Yeah, it just, just, just. You wouldn't have to even do something as elaborate as when they moved DS9. Just shift it a few dozen kilometers, and if it's a really good cloak, no one's gonna find it because it's not where they're looking for it. And space is vast, uh, so. But you would need some thrusters. Otherwise, you could just extrapolate its vector at last from last time you visited and figure out where it should be now. If it doesn't, if it has no thrusters, the cloak is of marginal
0: usefulness. (laughs) It does end the episode on an ominous note. Uh, John Noble is really scary. Like his voice, you know, when he's saying stuff like, I am coming for you, my progeny. I'm like, Oh yeah. He's a, he's got like a great villain voice, almost to the point where he seems too um, like cliche evil, but they, they did kind of hint at some nuance with him in the, in the first episode. And I, I think I've, Outside of the show, I've heard like the writers talk about like, oh yeah, like when you learn what he's all about, like you'll you'll understand, you know, why he's uh why is he he trying to do the things he's trying to do.
1: Yeah, I, I hope they do something more with him, but they probably will.
0: Uh but answers the, the question the we ab- had was like, oh. you know, were they gonna were they gonna like come after the protostar? And it's like, oh well they answer that pretty quickly. Yes. <laughs> what were you gonna say though?
1: Oh, um, they go from this really ominous music to this incredibly chill, surprisingly chill credit sequence that after everything else of the show is so high energy, we get these 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 very meditative, calming credits that I was like, really? Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> jarring.
0: Oh, and the cool thing, Brian, the cool thing they're doing with the music for Prodigy is that they're releasing the, the soundtrack to, to each episode every week. Uh, so uh, I I listen to oh. the Star Trek music on Spotify, um, so I don't I don't know where else you can find it, but I know if you have a Spotify subscription, that's one way to find it. And every week there will be new Prodigy music to listen to, and it has a really good score.
1: Uh yeah no it, it, I I I guess I have to admit I wasn't paying too much attention to the music outside of the opening and closing credits, but uh, I'll have to go
0: check that out. Yeah, it, it's pretty energetic throughout though, like you were saying, like. It, it, it almost it's almost kind of surprising to hear it without the context of the show, because I'm like, oh, yeah, there's like some really like energetic stuff, like the lighthearted parts are like super lighthearted. The actiony parts are super actiony yeah. So not not very subtle, but I like it. Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything else to say on this episode. I don't have any final thoughts, no. but uh, Brian, if you do, uh, please uh, go ahead and share with us.
1: Uh yeah, this is something that i i I think it vaguely hit me a few months ago, but I wasn't sure how true it was going to be until I saw it saw the actual show and as opposed to just guessing what's going on from trailers, this is all just Blake Seven
0: okay you have it's, to explain because me and I'm yeah. sure many listeners I know <laughs> it's, of Blake 7 because of you but otherwise yeah. I have zero exposure to it so so tell us it's what Blake a, 7 is
1: a bunch of freedom loving prisoners a mismatched band of people who shouldn't be friends and really want to hang out with each other because they're all so different are all prisoners of the evil bad guy and they all want to be free and they stumble across a super awesome mysterious alien spaceship and then they end up being pursued by the authorities who had imprisoned them in the first place who want the ship. And the ship itself turns out to be alive and has like a sapient computer that they can talk to and has access to vast amounts of information. Yeah, that's Blake Seven. Um, <laughs> they, the Blake Seven also has a telepathic crew member and a gentle giant who isn't all that educated. Um, so But uh, is, is huge uh so uh i'm kind of wondering are we going to end up with th- a bunch of space robin hood hijinks which is kind of what the meat and potatoes of that show was where they'd run around screwing over the 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 evil federation that's literally what they called it in lake seven was the federation <laughs> um but it was evil uh the evil authoritarian dictatorial federation uh they'd st- yeah steal knock out raid their stuff very rebel alliancey robin hoody type stuff so i'm wondering if that's where we're going to end up with this show is it going to be about them on being on the run and exploring or is it going to be about them kind of kicking the bad guys ass and and liberating lots of other people and stuff uh as we adventure uh, given the other similarities between this and Blake 7. And I don't say this to be critical. I love the setup for Blake 7. I think it is one of the most show's most dying to be rebooted out there. Uh, um, so I'm very glad that, that, that somebody's taken up this idea that I've always loved and is having fun with it.
0: That actually sounds really cool. Like uh, Robin Hood... In space uh, kind of makes me want to watch Blake Seven because i i don 't know anything about it beyond the few things you 've told yeah. me over the years I will warn you the the
1: ac- most of the actors are amazing fun and and kind of dark and cynical it 's definitely a much more adult show than Doctor Who is. Uh, it's also British, however, right? Like Doctor British, Who. British, yes, yes, yes. It's made by the BBC. Uh, in fact, you can see some of the Doctor Who props and costumes show up in there. I will say their production budget is a little less than 1970s Doctor Yikes. Who, <laughs> so not wildly less, but you know, you definitely need to know that going in that the the the, the sets, the costumes, the aliens and stuff are going to be. Not quite as good as 1970s Doctor Who, uh, but if you're willing to go with that, the characters are quite wonderfully fun uh, a, um, in a kind of black humor kind of way sometimes. <laughs> uh, I, I highly recommend it if you're at all curious, So, but much more cynical than Doctor Who. <laughs> so.
0: Very cool. Well, yeah, we'll have to see if uh, if the show takes a similar approach in the future. Um, in the meantime, though, I do have the Gorn Egg section of the show to go through. These are all the Easter eggs, in jokes, and continuity connections in the episode that I thought were worth mentioning. But yeah, starting off, we do have the Federation or the Fed Eurasian, as Rock Talk said. That's one of those most kind of me roll my eyes. But yeah, the uh, Federation history lesson. We see the visual representations of a Tellarite. Vulcan, human, and Endorian. So all the the founders of the Federation. We see like their flags or banners or logos or whatever you want to call them. And we also see the ships of like every Star Trek show that takes place before Prodigy. We have the uh, the TOS Connie. We have the Galaxy class from TNG. The Voyager or Intrepid class. We have the Defiant class, NX class, and a Crossfield class like the Discovery. And a couple of shuttles. I guess it's a a class F and a type six and a type eight shuttlecraft. So it's like the uh, the hollow Janeway knew to only show the ships that have had their own TV show.
1: <laughs> she's she's that's there's a reason she's Starfleet's most decorated captain.
0: <laughs> and then uh, Aaron's asking why was the Discovery in there, and I'm like, yeah, I guess people just know that like there was a uh, cross filled design. I don't know how much they, they buried about the discovery or if that had been unearthed by by this time. And next up, uh, we get to see that cool map that, like you said, Brian does establish the existence of the Beta Quadrant as well as the Alpha Quadrant and has the <laughs> has the Federation labeled as existing in both. And we also see the Romulan and Klingon Empires. Mm. So that was cool. Uh-huh.
1: Yep, all dating back to Jeffrey Mandel's Star Charts book. So as far as positioning of things,
0: yeah, so. and you even can see some of the sectors have familiar names uh, that have been used in in some of the the star charts and stuff like that. Dow accuses Gwen of having space madness or space flu, <laughs> and uh, I think space madness was mentioned in the original series in the Naked Time, and then again in the Tholian Web. So like that's what happened to the crew of the the Defiant and the Tholian Web.
1: I absolutely would have slipped in. She accidentally saw our Medusin, and she's crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would have liked that. But speaking of Gwen, she uses the curse word, uh, quavoth, which, uh, but that's what she says when all the escape pods are gone. Uh, That's a word that, I I think the only other time it existed in Star Trek was uh, Martok said that once in Deep Space Nine. I don't know what it is. Means And I, I found some conflicting Klingon uh, definitions on online. So, yeah.
1: But it is Klingon then. Okay. Yeah.
0: So she knows Klingon language. Well, she was studying it last week with the Cation that was Klingon text. Yeah. So she that's another Alpha Beta Quadrant species that has interacted with these Delta Quadrant characters. Of course, we have uh, the hologram Janeway. I loved this touch. I, I think I had seen an image of this somewhere. But the hologram Janeway drinks coffee. So cl- yeah. clearly has a lot of the the <laughs> Catherine Janeway real life personality and mannerisms built in. Uh, Janeway was uh, a famed uh, coffee addict in Voyager. Yeah. I liked her having her coffee black. It's kind of like her like alternative to Earl Grey tea hot.
1: I Yeah, that was another point for Janeway's a little more clever than we think of, is that she knows to show up with the coffee just to rub in how they should have been listening to her. You know, look at I've got this so (laughs) under control. You got, you know, that that that's a bit of, you know, symbolic thinking that goes beyond a lot of stuff that we normally see from more primitive AIs.
0: And I don't know why I wanted to point this out so much, but on one of the displays for the Prodigy that we see, it has uh, labeled Workbee Storage. So, well, I guess they, do, they don't <laughs> store shuttles. They just replicate a shuttle whenever they need one. But they can keep some smaller Workbees around. I want to see the pro- the uh, Protostar Workbees. But, yeah, we, we never really get a good look at them. You know, you see them a little bit in the motion picture, a little bit in the background, and uh, the Deep Space Nine opening credits flying around. Uh, the the Workbee that we see the most of up close is the Discovery one when they're like yeah. fixing the the satellite in the, in the first episode
1: yeah the um yeah that's uh, the schematic of the ship again it looks like about 7 or 8 decks cuz we can kind of see the floor of the bridge pretty clearly there and and you can if you assume, even if you assume that all the decks are as tall as the bridge is uh or or something close to that you can see that there's a fair number of decks there so this ship is it's not small. Uh, it's maybe it, by Star Trek standards, I guess it's small, mm. but uh, it's. I think it probably has more volume than the, than the Defiant. Yeah,
0: so point. it's a little bigger than I thought previously.
1: Yeah, um, but yes, and a nice, nice. Uh, what are they called? Uh, MSD. Yeah, Master or System Display. Uh, yeah, nice, nice, nicely done graphic there even if it doesn't show the floors quite as clearly as I would like it also looks like a whole lot of it is hard, uh, kind of looks more like it's hardware so maybe that could help explain the 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 everyone sleeps in a cargo bay yeah is that, yeah it looks like there's the, a bunch
0: the, the, of like engineering equipment yeah. and stuff in here the, the, well no this is gonna be where en- that third nacelle pops out so yeah. of course that's gonna take up when you when you suck that thing inside of your ship it's gonna take up a lot yeah. of volume
1: yeah, but there seems to be a lot more than just that going on in there too. So
0: hmm.
1: it 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 I mean, I don't know how seriously we should take this graphic. They could have just put some gibberish in there to make fill it out, but it would imply that their engineering hall is literally filled with engineering stuff completely unlike say every other engineering hall we've ever gotten a detailed look at in Star Trek, which is
0: mostly rooms
1: and corridors.
0: <laughs> Michael Stapniak in our live audience says he was hoping for a rubber ducky room. So we, want, we, might, see, we might see another yeah. display that has the rubber ducky room.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, that could be. It, it should be easier to spot, because if it's the same size duck they had on Picard's Enterprise, it should be really noticeable on
0: these displays. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for the gorn eggs, but I do have some subspace transmissions. Last week I asked people what, what did they think of the premiere episode of Prodigy, Lost and Found. Yeah, I'm just going to go over some of those right now. What our OSHA and safety enthusiast, Captain Pikachu, said last week, Maybe lacking in seatbelts, but certainly not lacking in stunning visuals and a lot of heart and fun. But let's hope for more seatbelts so we can also teach the next generation to not commit more OSHA violations. With all the seatbelts were on Gwen, clearly, when they had her strapped yeah. down. So. Also on Twitter, JC says, My nine-year-old brought it up last weekend, and I was ecstatic. While he commented it had Star Wars Rebels vibes, he gave it a 9 out of 10 and has decided he is a Trekkie like his dad. I loved it myself and even more so with my youngest. I think that is super cool, uh, threes and sevens. Uh, That's awesome. And Angela said something similar. She said on Twitter, my son is autistic and rarely watches tv he sat with my daughter and i for the entire episode didn't interrupt at all and afterwards asked how soon we could watch the next one we were completely mesmerized so that's awesome i hope you enjoyed this episode too angela and on youtube red ketchum said so far so good and has anyone asked if murph could have been a crew member of the proto star the ship traveled so fast that turns you into goo instead of a four-legged catfish. So another Murph theory. There we go.
1: Alright, that is that is the definitive ending that I want, reveal for, that I want for this show. It, it, this is this is what they should do. It should all be a giant... <laughs> Murph should be the even further evolved version. If they'd left those two salamanders on that planet for another few weeks, they would have turned into Murphs. Um, so, yeah, I love that That's brilliant.
0: (laughs) That's going to be it for this week. Uh, I would love to hear what people thought of this episode, Starstruck. So be sure to comment on YouTube, hit me up on Twitter. However you want to get a hold of me, send us an email and let us know your thoughts on Starstruck. And we might share those next week when we cover the next episode of Prodigy. And until next week, as always, live long and prosper, y'all.
1: Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek, and follow Fathery e on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you, and take care.